0: There is no reforming the schools. The options are survival or escape. But this realization actually marks the beginning of a new and fulfilling educational journey
1: for both students and parents. Welcome to the School Sucks Project.
0: Our mission is to provide clarity, support, and empowerment
1: to parents who are concerned and frustrated with the content and culture of the public schools. We achieve this mission through the creation of
2: educational and entertaining media and the development of supportive communities.
1: Continuously building a more detailed picture
0: of what genuine self-directed education can look
2: like. We are determined to pursue this mission because we understand the dangers of indoctrination, toxic school culture, and short-sighted education policies. And we deeply
0: value intrinsically motivated learning, autonomy, and choice in education.
1: And please remember
0: the three important facts we first tried to share when we started in 2009. The schools will not improve. Higher education will not improve. The political conversation about these institutions will not improve.
2: Only we can improve. So let's begin.
0: Hello and welcome back to The Essential School Sucks. This is Brett, and you are listening to show number 11 in this collection. It is called Setting Children Free in an Age of Mass Panic. With this 11th show, we move beyond the problems of school and into Section 2, leaving institutional schooling and finding educational alternatives. But the embrace of this next step for many people will require the awareness and the abandoning of a very schooled mindset, which, in recent years, has come to be known as safetyism. I first heard this term from Matthew B. Crawford in his outstanding book, Why We Drive. But people have been warning about safetyism, especially as it applies to children, for a long, long time. Just a few years into the century of the safe, the century of the safe is what I call the 21st century following 9-11, a culture controlled by a politics in which safety is the trump card in every argument. But yeah, it was 2007 or 2008 where a woman in New York City let her son ride the subway entirely by himself. I think he was under 10 years old. Then she wrote an article about why she did this with the awareness of this safetyism problem and the really detrimental effect it was having on young people, not just on their feelings of anxiety, but also on their sense of self-efficacy and self-confidence. The woman's name was Lenore Skenazy. And before Twitter mobs were even a thing, an outraged mainstream media descended on her and dubbed her America's Worst Mom. Knowing that these people were by and large hysterical and silly, Lenore Scanese chose to embrace this label. She made it a huge part of her brand. She still blogs at freerangekids.com. She's written a book by the same name, and for over a decade she's given talks all over the country on sanity about child safety. This subject is, certainly in this day and age, one of the most important elements of what is called de-schooling. Identifying and deleting the programs that are put into our minds and our children's minds through the process of schooling. De-schooling, like de-programming. Those things are basically synonyms. I think there's a great demonstration of wisdom in calling out a concerning trend early with an understanding of how that trend in culture or politics or education could be exacerbated by a crisis. And here we are. Early in her work, Lenore warned about something called the baby safety industrial complex, online media fear-mongering about the dangers all of our children are perpetually in, and the consequent deference to a kind of expert culture when it comes to keeping children safe. And it goes without saying, even though here I am saying it, that the world Lenore started issuing these warnings into was, it's hard to believe, far less fearful, far less tribal, far less obedient than the one we currently all inhabit. Back in the good old days, the biggest problem was countering anecdotal safety. Parenting magazine says these kinds of socks are very dangerous for your baby. Today, we live in an era of scientific safety, and this issue is even more important, especially for children who are in school, even if your children are not in school, if they have friends that are in school. Earlier in this series, I played a clip from a cable news network called CNN. Sorry, I did that. But when I did, I said, the views expressed on this network offer you a pretty good indication of the kind of mindset governing children in the schools, especially during the pandemic or whatever we call this current period, just because not all of us can go and visit the schools and see the day-to-day operations and environment there. There are other places where you can see what the schools are like. Airport security, hospitals, government buildings— any building on almost any university campus. In fact, here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as I travel around the city, I can tell when I'm in close proximity to either a university or a hospital just by how many healthy young people I see outside wearing masks. So understanding this problem and liberating ourselves and liberating children from this mindset of safetyism, I think is a very important first step when it comes to fully embracing an educational philosophy that will offer more freedom, more choice, and more autonomy to young people. Because that's where we're going next. And this will set the tone for the remaining episodes in this section of The Essential School Sucks. And I hope many of you listening are becoming aware of Lenore Skenazy for the very first time right here. And that what you will hear in this show will make you feel supported in your growing objections to the madness of safety, in the obedience to so-called experts' culture that surrounds us all. And I hope you'll leave this show feeling even more emboldened in your decision to treat your children with dignity. If you want to lend your support and receive great value in return for that support to The School Sucks Project or to this essential School Sucks endeavor, you can check the show notes or stay tuned until after the show... For now, this is The Essential School Sucks, number 11, originally released January 20th, 2013, as episode 190, Lenore Scanese, Free Range Kids. The clip that opens the show is a kind of commercial for a TV program that was built around Lenore's brand, and she would go and intervene with overprotective families with well-schooled parents who believe that safety should not be the deciding factor in every decision affecting their children, but essentially the only factor. The television show was not picked up here in the United States in a media environment where it is generally believed that liberating people from unnecessary fears is not a good business model. Thanks for listening, here we go.
3: I was called the world's worst mom because I let my nine-year-old son ride the subway alone. So now my mission is to rescue parents and their bubble wrapped kids. Don't feed me. I give Sammy bath. still. It feels embarrassing.
1: I don't like him to play in the rain.
3: I just want to do things by myself. What aren't you allowed to do? I can't eat bacon. I can't ride a bike. My mom doesn't want me to fall and hurt myself. I can't use a knife. My mom thinks that I'm going to cut my fingers off. I'm going to teach him how to use a knife safely. I cut
1: cheese wrong. What is he doing? I just cut a tomato. See to your feet. I <gasps> can't let go. Do you want me to Sam hold Sam. on? Go. No.
3: Go. Go, go! Oh my go, god, that's go, awesome! Go! We got it! Yeah, you got it! You got it! I think the family has changed literally forever.
1: The self confidence level uh, just went up.
3: He looks happy. I can do everything that I couldn't do, It makes me happy.
2: We have heard a lot about helicopter parents. They hover over their children, monitoring everything from their temperature to their choice in friends. Now, as CBS News correspondent
1: Kelly Wallace reports, there's a growing effort to make kids and parents a little more grounded.
3: We were kids. We were allowed to stay out till the streetlights came on.
1: When New York mom, Lenore Skenazy, wrote a column about letting her nine-year-old son ride the subway by himself, she never could have imagined the reaction. International
3: outrage. A woman in New York has been dubbed the world's worst mother. People were debating whether I was a terrible parent or not. America's worst mom. I was I was shocked. Lenore Skenazy is the founder of Free Range Kids, a movement
1: blog and book aimed at bringing to the ground so-called helicopter parents. These, do you know what these are? No, I
3: don't. These are baby knee pads, okay? <laughs> and they're cute
1: from knee pads for when our kids crawl to inspecting their college dorm rooms. Skenazy says protective parenting is hurting, not helping today's kids.
3: What we've been doing with the bubble wrapping of our kids is actually Detrimental to their development. They're not making decisions. They talk to us on the phone. Should I have the cookie? Should I not have the cookie?
2: Helicopter Homer, away.
3: So are the days of helicopter parents
1: in free fall? Last week's Time Magazine cover story suggests hyperparenting may be another casualty of the poor economy. The recession has done so much to change family life. According to a recent CBS News poll, a third of families said they cut back on their children's extracurricular activities because they could no longer afford them. The need to slow down a little has been a huge relief and has has sort of validated a lot of parents' instincts that they needed to back off a bit. No, stop the hovering. But shaking your inner helicopter is no easy task, self included. Full disclosure. You have a duck. I had one. A duck to tell me when my baby's bath water was too hot, something I could have clearly done myself. I'm I'm reformed, right? right? I'm you I'm growing. Reformed. I'm well, growing. I've thrown the duck away. You've
3: thrown the duck away. <laughs> That's the beginning of the revolution, okay? I feel better
1: already. Kelly Wallace, CBS News, New York. Yeah.
2: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm very happy to have with me today Lenore Skenazy. She is the author of the book and blog by the same name, Free Range Kids, and she is also the host of the Discovery TLC International's World's Worst Mom.
3: But you can't see it here. No no American station picked it up. You can... Go feel free to go to run to Canada to go see it or or Latin America or Russia or Australia. Just can't see it here.
2: But I'm picturing and I'm sure you're you're so tired at this point of explaining the whole world's worst mom thing, but I I'm picturing when I hear that title, I'm picturing little kids in beauty pageants, but that's not what
3: it is at all. Oh yeah. No, first of all I have sons. Um right. Yeah, the it's it's sort of a, a I don't know, a universalization of the fact that I'm America's worst mom, just plain old America. Um and that was a name I got uh gosh, about 5 years ago at this point. Um when I let my 9-year-old ride the subway by himself here in New York City and I wrote a column about it because I'm a newspaper columnist. And um 2 days later I found myself on every possible television show defending myself and my decision to let him do something on his own, um, even though I didn't even give him a cell phone. So the fact that I sent him into the subway, that I wasn't picturing him dead, and I didn't give him a cell phone altogether equaled, you know, one plus one plus one equals, you know, terrible human being and possibly America's worst mom, and then the label just stuck.
2: Yes. And I will tell you that many of my listeners, I'd say almost all of my listeners, uh, certainly Mm -hmm. understand where you're coming from and probably are already on board uh, with this approach. One thing that I worry about just from my own experience is that Mm -hmm. when people find themselves kind of alone – and Mm -hmm. isolated Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. everybody else is doing things in a more mainstream, conventional way. And, of course, we live in this time of great divisiveness. People might Mm -hmm. wind up, you know, with their children not forming some of these meaningful connections with other kids in their neighborhood. And the whole community thing, the whole neighborhood thing, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. really seems to be a thing of the the past.
3: That's actually a big point of what I'm trying to do, which is to not make it the past, to make it the present. Uh, I really was very heartened yesterday. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune um, about uh, some parents who had uh, banded together to form the, quote unquote, free range kids club. And I think it's every Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember. They let their kids play outside with each other without the parents there. Now the parents were very nervous about talking about this and they wouldn't use their last names and they didn't want the name of the town in the paper because there's still all this inflated fear that anytime anybody hears there's any child on the loose, the um, entire population of the North American Man Boy Love Association will pounce upon them and, you know, be tweeting their their GPS uh statistics. But in fact, what's great is that these parents uh, in an affluent neighborhood and ironically where i grew up um, which is the north shore of chicago suburbs of chicago decided that you know our kids really are helicoptered over hovered over and over scheduled all the rest of the time what if we gave them one afternoon and they can go wandering around they could go buy themselves some ice cream they can play a game in the park they can they can goof off they can waste time god forbid um time that they 'll never get back in time to uh you know put on their college resumes um and maybe that's actually quite good for them and the fact that this article ran and that the um the woman who wrote it, the reporter then got in touch with me to say that in fact it was causing quite a stir, and some people were saying that they were going to start bringing this article to their schools as a way of getting the discussion started there, like gee, maybe kids you know maybe there's something actually you know, good academically and good socially and good um, in terms of health, letting kids do this on their own. So if people start seeing letting kids have some free time with each other as something beneficial as opposed to through the lens of fear, which is the way we see it all now, um, boy, you know, those, those communities that you're longing for could start springing up.
2: So on on that note, and I know that you had to have this conversation on a national scale, really trial by fire five years ago, where you had to defend yourself against a very hostile mainstream media. But how would you advise mothers and fathers, parents in my audience, to go about trying to make these connections with people in their community or explain what they're doing and why to other people? I'm sure that's a conversation you've had to have.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, I actually keep a list for myself in my own computer called zingers. Um, like what to say when people say like, why you must not care about your child. And it's like, I care about my child enough to let him grow up. Or to, you know, to let her experience her own life or to give her the kind of childhood I had. Or I've been reading the latest parenting studies, I guess you haven't, that show that kids are becoming less resilient. And the way to restore that resiliency and self-sufficiency is by allowing them to do some things on their own, particularly play. Because when kids play on their own and nobody's telling them, you know, who's going to be on their team and what the game is and deciding when it's over and who's going to bring the snack, when it's actually just kids playing the way we used to play, a bunch of fantastic things happen. The lessons like how to compromise, how to problem solve, how to, um, the big word in child development world is, um, God, what is it? Executive function. Yes. Um, Self-regulation. Those are both the same thing. The idea is that you hold yourself together. Well, that's very hard to do if you're bored out of your mind and you're doing You know, yet another story problem in third grade. But once you go out on the, at recess, if you still have recess, um, and you and your friends are playing four square and you thought the ball was in and three of your friends say no, it was out. You have a choice. You can break down and stomp off and stand in the corner or Or what else can happen if you're desperate to keep playing and that's mother nature put that into us this desperation to enjoy life and to have fun with our friends if you are so desperate for that the only choice you have is to pull yourself together and go out and wait your turn to come back in again and in that process of Holding yourself together, you learn how to hold yourself together. You learn how to wait your turn. And if you take away these opportunities for children to have that that give and take, you know whether it's on the playground or in the field or in the basement or down the block, you are stunting them. So the thing that I tell parents who are who really do want to give their children these experiences but have to deal with parents saying like, "No, I'm sending my child to uh, to Kumon or to travel soccer or to." Um, karate because those teach valuable skills and we can, you know, we can measure them and regulate them. It's like, well, guess what? Free play teaches skills that are just as important. They just don't cost any money and they don't look good on a resume.
2: So when you have the adults hovering over these play situations, not only do you not have to worry about compromise, if, I mean, if you're the kid because there's this adult right. arbiter. This, uh, Somebody
3: else is deciding. Yeah, a grown-up. But you
2: also mm-hmm. don't learn something that I think is very important, which is self-assertiveness because you can right. run to the adult. And they can right. with the idea that they'll solve the problem for you. So what what you're talking about is um, that adult disappearing a little bit, but haven't or, or a lot. OK. So have you had to face criticisms like you're anti safety? You had this great yeah. line. I saw this one video where you said the, the baby safety industrial complex.
3: Uh, you know, I. I, there was a new example of it. What was it? I got something new that I hadn't seen before. Oh, yeah, there's now there's a, a GPS device that I was just writing about that um you can clamp onto your child's wrist like a wristwatch, except it's like titanium. They can't get it off. It's actually like, um you know, if you were a federal prisoner and you were furloughed. Right. um And that GPS device allows you to ostensibly spend your entire day watching your child as a dot on a map. And the idea that we should be GPSing our children all the time is a great one for the baby industrial complex or child safety industrial complex because then you have to pay a monthly fee to keep the dot on your screen to make sure that they're never going any place that you don't want them to go. Um but there's there's amazing um money to be made if you can scare parents about the safety of their children. It's the easiest dollar to extract from a wallet and that's why you see things like there's baby knee pads as if as if this is a dangerous activity that somehow uh, you know that that your child this generation is the first generation that somehow can't handle the friction between their knee and the ground and and frankly i actually think not only is it ridiculous waste of money it's it's the wrong thing for your kid because i think the whole idea of evolution is that it's it is a little painful to 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 crawl around on the ground which is all the more reason to learn how to walk right you know so i mean it's as if we keep thwarting um the idea of the natural way of um getting lessons life lessons into our kids because we want to save them from the trauma of what the trauma of developing i mean there's so there's there's a there's another baby product you can buy that um is sort of a vest that you put around your child and then you pull them up by uh by strings attached to the vest so it's like turning the kid into like a little like a marionette oh my goodness yeah and that supposedly it's called the God, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's um, the 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 package says that this allows children to learn to walk um, with more confidence, um, and more and more more naturally, and with more confidence. And I and that's why I tell people you just have to be on the lookout for the big lie. <laughs> right. It's not more naturally, and and you get confidence when nobody is holding on to you. That's where the confidence comes from. I can do it, not from I'm a rag. Oh, now I'm walking. Oh, now she let me go. Now I'm walking. You know, that's not confidence. That's being a slave.
2: No, and those parental anxieties for sure are projected onto the child. Like I think they kind of internalize that as well. And, I mean, another word that I heard you use that I really like and I've used a bunch of times in my past for a variety of different things yeah, on yeah. this show is catastrophizing. And we oh, live yeah, in not. this age yeah, of, yeah. of panic and and paranoia. And you in New York City, especially this place yeah. where it's right down to like uh, soda sizes as far as like the controls and like the safety and security as a priority over over everything else. And I think part of that for some people, given, you know, the last decade is understandable. But I, I explore a variety of topics on my show. And from marketing to the media to politics, it seems that People are proving, and they have been proving for the better part of a century, if not even longer, that if you put them into a place where they're thinking with their emotions, mm-hmm. uh, they're much easier to control and they're much harder to reach or they're less interested <laughs> yeah. in being reached yeah. on a on a logical level. So there are legit fears uh, versus the ones that have been kind of imposed or foisted upon us. So much I'm interested – in who do you think it is or what do you think it is that is imposing all these fears on people today that didn't exist when you were a kid?
3: Well, there's a couple things going on and that's pretty much what my book is about. It's like, where did all this fear come from, the fact that probably you and definitely me, we were allowed to play outside as kids. We walked back and forth to school. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she stayed at home. (laughs) She didn't walk me everywhere, and she wasn't hovering all the time because that was not considered the hallmark of decent parenting, nor was it considered negligence to let your kids have time on their own after school or on a weekend. Um, So the places that uh, that this new fear came from, this idea that we have to have our eyes on our kids all the time, are you know I outline them generally but it's uh there're things you were just talking about first is the media my parents you know I'm pretty old at this point we didn't have cable tv 24/7 um showing Nancy Grace who will either show you some child from somewhere who has been uh snatched out of you know her bed or from on the street or if it's you know because these crimes actually are quite rare She'll harp on the same one for a month, or if it's Kaylee right. Anthony, it'll be a year, or if it's John Benet Ramsey, it'll be a decade. And if it's there's still nothing going on and all kids are tucked in their beds, well then she'll say it's the you know seventeenth anniversary of the day little Susie never came home. And so when you turn on your TV. 24-7, you can find a kid being stolen from the street, whether it's a news story, a reminiscence, or law and order, or CSI. Um, it's just, it's the most gripping story. And once television realized this, which wasn't until the 80s, um, they never let go. I mean, they just found the goose laying the golden egg that is child in peril. And I can tell you that it happened then, because in 1979, which was the year, um, here in New York City, a boy named Aton Pates was taken from, a uh, six-year-old boy blonde, taken from his bus stop. The, um, the working assumption for the first month or so was that a lovelorn lady had stopped, seen him there, and taken him home to raise as her own. So at that point in public consciousness, we did not have the idea of a sexual predator. Um, when that idea came to the fore, which it did through you know, police thinking about it, and then a book was written, and then a few years later, um, Adam Walsh was kidnapped from a Sears. Um, once the idea um, took hold in the public's mind that there are actual predators out there, um, we couldn't stop thinking about it, hearing about it, worrying about it, watching TV shows about it. The Adam Walsh uh, two-night docu- docudrama broke all ratings records. After that, his father, John Walsh, um, started to catch Predator, or what was it, or whatever the name of the show is. And And it's been, um, it's been a gold mine, even though it's sad, but it has been a gold mine for the media ever since. And that's why you'll find the movies have children who are taken and the TV shows have children who are taken and the books have children who are taken. And even, you know, something as erudite as the New Yorker won't, you know, won't mind stooping to that story if they can come up with a, you know, a logical reason to run that piece. So it's, it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. So the media has made it feel like because 24 seven, There's somebody on TV being taken. It feels like 24-7, our children are all in Do I'll just quickly go through the other um, two or three reasons I think that we're more worried. One is, we were just talking about it before, the the child safety industrial complex. We have smaller families today. We have our children later. Um, There's two parents working often enough. And so that's a lot of extra income per child that didn't used to be available. Well, marketers see it. And so they start marketing spoons that change color if the food is too hot and a bathwater duck. That, you know, a little rubber duck that you can put in the bathwater that changes color as if it's too hot, Like as if you couldn't figure out this stuff by yourself. You can. Obviously, you can tell if food or water is too hot. And obviously, we've done this for a million generations. But if you can somehow convince parents that, you know, you're, you're you just might not be quite good enough at that. Um, you, you sort of undermine the parents' confidence. And then at the same time, you make them overestimate their child's vulnerability. What would happen? Imagine how terrible you would feel if your child was scalded, or just imagine how your, your neighbors would feel when they saw you and your child's mouth was on fire. You know, you right. are a pretty terrible mom. And so, um, by overemphasizing, um, very rare, uh, dangers and underestimating Parents and making them feel like they're all idiots. I mean, like, if you read any of the parenting magazines, my, my favorite one of my favorite parenting magazine articles was from a couple of years ago. It was four pages on how to take your child out for a safe and fun day. Okay, <laughs> because otherwise, you could, like, if you didn't read four pages of instructions, you'd be taking them out for a deathly but fun day, you know, right. or a safe but horrifyingly terrible day. Um, but thanks to one of the parenting magazines, they tell you things like choose a day. That's sunny when there's no threat of rain. It's like, oh, you're fucking kidding. You mean if that funnel cloud is coming towards me, I shouldn't put on the little, you know, baby Bjorn and sally forth without a snack? Is that what you're telling me? Because I couldn't figure that out for myself. Thank you so much. But by treating parents like complete idiots all the time, and you just get so used to it, you start thinking we must not know a lot. And that's another reason I think that we're going crazy is that into that void springs the expert culture. And then you read them some more because it's always always impossible for me to remember what experts are saying. You know, it's like, I I still don't know. Do you starve a cold? (laughs) Do you feed a cold? I mean, so... They, they, there's this tsunami of advice coming at you, and really, all it does is shake your foundations. Um, where you might have thought, "Gee, I guess this is okay," or you know, maybe this isn't ideal, but it, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give her just uh, crackers and peanut butter today because I didn't pack um, the organic grapes. You know, that's okay, but you start to think it's not. Nice. You start to think that some expert knows better. There's some product that would keep your child safer. There's some terrible tragedy lurking around the corner that Nancy Grace is going to put you on her show about. And there's some hidden danger that somebody is hiding from you if you use tap water or if you, um, you know, give your kids a plastic cup instead of a BPA-free cup that costs $3,000. So – There's just a lot of pressure on parents from the media, the marketplace, and even politicians telling you that you can't keep your child in the car for more than five minutes because something terrible could happen. And so they pass laws against it without being able to keep the actual dangers in perspective. Everything is, as you say, catastrophized. And we become very um unconfident and very scared for our children and very worried that we're not doing it right. And all All my whole book and blog and Free Range Kids Every Which Way thing, movement, tries to tell parents is that kids are very resilient, Um, they're not that vulnerable, and uh, you can take a step back and relax a little because we're living in the safest times in human history and your kids are safer than ever and it's a lot of hooey that you have to worry all the time.
2: Okay, so I have a couple um, more challenging questions that we can finish up with today. Um, I would like to know, because uh, it's kind of my responsibility with my show to ask, do you think that the changes in schooling um, mm-hmm. in public school over the course of the past few decades, I mean, you talk about like the anti free range environment for young people. This is where they're going to spend uh fifteen thousand hours during really? form yep during very formative wow. years of their lives and I would think that that much time thirty five hours every week, not counting homework,
3: yeah, which I hate
2: they leave that and they do have this free time and unstructured time and it's just such the polar opposite of what they experience in 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 school do you think that you know the increase in schooling the increase in supervision in schooling the the uh, of course that's the, the concerns about safety in the last 10 12 years
3: yeah that's an interesting one too yeah i can tell you what i think about the some of these issues sure. um First of all, um, any school that is whittling away at recess has my um, utter scorn. Um, because they are doing the exact opposite of what they think they're doing. They think they're dedicating more time to um, actual instruction, which will make their kids, you know, smarter and pay more attention and do better on tests. But if they would look at any of the evidence, that when kids have a chance to run around, get their yayas out, have some fun in their lives and move their bodies, they actually do better in school. They are, they are better at paying attention and they've actually done better on tests. So restore as much recess as possible. Um, and when we're talking about recess, let's think about what's out there. I mean, there are schools that have gotten rid of everything from sandbox for fear of, you know, cat feces and the merry-go-round is gone because kids could fall off. And, and uh, it's really hard to find a teeter-totter that isn't on one of those sweet, you know, springs that just goes up about, you know, a quarter of an inch and then down a quarter of an inch. So I feel that in our, um, our you know, desperate desire for absolute safety, which is um, a, a fool's task. Uh, we have made a lot of things more boring, and um, and then so you know there there was studies done. There was one study done. I shouldn't exaggerate. Last year, that looked at how much time children were spending on what they called vigorous play, like running around play, in preschool. We're talking about kids in school between ages of two and five, and the amount of time per day was guess what? Nothing percentage would surprise wise.
2: me. Uh, oh, yeah. percentage wise, five percent, mm-hmm. two to three. Ugh. Okay.
3: Two to 3% of the time. And some of these, because remember, we're talking daycare. So some kids are dropped off before mom goes to uh, her job and then picked up afterwards. So sometimes it's the entire daylight portion of their day is spent at daycare, and only two or 3% of the time is spent in vigorous play. Um, Well, the the researcher wanted to find out why. And one of the reasons was indeed that the, um, the safety regulations were so over the top. That um, sometimes, for instance, if you didn't have like eight feet around a, um, a single swing, you couldn't have a swing set. so down came the swing sets. and if you didn't have a certain depth of um, mulch underneath uh, a toy or, or you know a piece of equipment, that wasn't good enough. and so if you you know, if you couldn't dig up your asphalt playground, you were screwed. And if you didn't, and um, s- slides were made shorter and shorter to the point where they were boring. But if kids wanted to walk up the slides, because coming down the slide held no thrill, they were told no, that that was too dangerous. So between the safety regulations, and then the um, the regulations on the part of the schools that they were coming to, by, fifth, by age five, they were expected to know their reading, you know, their letters and their numbers when they came in. And so then the teachers at these, at the daycare centers and at the preschools felt compelled to spend more and more time with the kids inside on the rug, learning their letters, practicing their numbers. And oftentimes that was what parents were demanding too, because that was what they were taught was the sign of, um, you know, success to come if their child was reading early or doing math early, even though, Once again, I mean, I hate to keep having to mention such studies instead of common sense, but studies show, you know, the kids in Finland are always number one on the on the um, education charts and they don't start school until age seven. So it's really not when you start. It's it's the you know, it's a childhood and, and a great thing for kids at school is to have time, like we were just talking about the free time after school, time negotiating between each other. What are they going to do now? How are they going to do this project? How, you know, What game are they going to play today? Who gets the doll? Who gets to play mom? Who gets to play kid? And the idea that all that time should be instead devoted to worksheets and lessons is is wrong and and corrosive
2: yeah and what I see as a negative impact on self-esteem that comes from school and I think when people talk (laughs) about self-esteem they say oh you can have self-esteem when you do good here in school, that's how you earn mm-hmm. self-esteem. In other words, uh, you know, the, the – sub- Like it's a gold star. Well, <laughs> yeah, The punishments and rewards, or, or in this case, the carrots and the stick. But there's a dangerous precedent there that you are feeling good about yourself. Your self-worth comes from mm-hmm. pleasing authorities. So mm-hmm. I think that it doesn't come from so much – You know, doing these things that you're told, but it comes from Mm -hmm. being left alone where you can have, Mm -hmm. as we've been talking about, these opportunities to learn self-responsibility, a personal assertiveness, having Mm -hmm. some kind of, um, you know, purpose, which is obviously going to change as you get older.
3: Look at the exact word you're using, self-confidence. What's the first word in self-confidence? Right. So obviously, self-confidence is something that comes from when you do something by yourself. You found your way home. You got lost and then you got back. You made your own fort. You came up with a game. You know, something you, you, the, the, we've been trying to sort of Botox in this self-esteem, you know, by giving kids the gold stars and by patting them on the back and telling them everybody's super duper great at every super duper thing. My son got a um, a trophy for coming in eighth place out of nine <laughs> in his bowling troupe. Um, so, you know, that's. Ridiculous. That assumes that children are so stupid, they can't tell the difference between an eighth place trophy and just being bad at bowling. Um, And it assumes that they would fall apart if they didn't get a trophy. And if they didn't, weren't told all the time that they're fantastic because we think of them as so weak. Well, if you think of kids as weak, you know, that's an insult. If you let them show you how strong they are, let them show you that they can do some things on their own and trust them in the world. Trust that you've been a good enough parent that you can let go, that they aren't going to go crazy, that you've taught them how to cross the street. You've taught them not to go off with strangers. You've given them swimming lessons. You know, do these things for your kids, the age old lessons that we have we have to give them And then you gradually let go because strength does not come from holding your baby all the time. If you hold your baby all the time, they won't get any muscles. Strength comes from letting that kid crawl, then walk, then run.
2: Right. My last question goes back to one of the first things that we talked about. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned the word zingers. You came up with this repertoire of yeah. zingers. Now, trust me, I got into this, like the podcasting and doing the radio for yeah, the yeah. zingers. Line up everybody who disagrees with me, basically, and I will zing them all. But I found over time from the, that approach, and maybe I was being too acerbic, maybe I was being too harsh, but it wasn't It wasn't really making any meaningful connections and I wasn't really getting me anywhere. It was kind of... In in many cases because these are already emotional topics to begin with um, mm-hmm. you know pulling people further into that emotion of defensiveness or I'm doing wrong didn't seem to be very very productive so I, I just wanted to
3: oh you're so mature <laughs> me thank you yeah so so you're wondering how can we convince people who are thinking otherwise without just saying oh here is a witty retort to your stupidity you dumbass yeah, yeah. Um, and, and uh The one thing that – the best way that I've seen um, that works goes back to the TV show that nobody in America will ever see, Um, which involved me being like the super nanny with 13 extremely overprotective families, Mm -hmm. Um, families where the mother would take the 13-year-old boy into the ladies' room with her because she was afraid that he would be murdered in the men's room or a 10-year-old boy who was still fed by his mother or – um, you know, kids who weren't allowed to cross the street at ages 8, nine, ten, who couldn't, who could play on the driveway but not touch the sidewalk because somehow the sidewalk. So these were very, very uh, distraught with worry parents. And my job was to come in, meet them, talk to the kids. I talked to one 15-year-old where whenever he went someplace, he was allowed to go one place a day. Um, he had to text his mother and then follow it up with a phone call because, of course, the kidnapper could have been pretending to be him texting. So – Um, when I met these parents, they, they, you know, generally the dad had invited me there and the mom was really mad, but so be it. Then I would meet with the kids and talk to them about all the rules. You know, we're not allowed to cross the street. We're not allowed to walk to school. We're not allowed to have an overnight. We're not allowed to use a knife, blah, blah, blah. And then I would take the kids away for the afternoon with the parents' permission and have them have a lemonade stand down the block where the mom couldn't see or play in the woods or, um... Uh, take a bike ride, you know, sell cookies, uh, have a uh, a newspaper route, all the things that we used to do, just normal, non-dangerous things. And when the parents saw a video that um, supposedly I would make, really the camera crew made, of the kids doing these things, you know, having a great time with the lemonade stand, making the lemonade and selling it and laughing and making the change and goofing it up and forgetting to put the sugar in and laughing with their friends and, and not running into the street and not going off with a stranger and not turning the lemonade, uh, you know, uh, container into a projectile and hitting each other over the head. When they realized that, like, all the things they were scared about were so much not in evidence and joy was, that is what changed the parents. They just, by the end of four days of little exercises like that, you know, okay, today the guy, their kids are going to go to the mall and they're going to go to the bathroom by themselves. Today the kids are going to... Um, You know, sell cookies outside when they at after four days of that, the parents were so completely changed by seeing their kids so happy and by being so proud of their kids instead of just worried for their kids Mm -hmm. at the at the very end of the show. When I figured, I think a lot of reality TV isn't reality. So um, but I had emails from most of these moms that they had sent me after the show. Right. Just like Lenore. Guess what? And they were bragging. Now my son joined the boy scouts. Now my kids going on an overnight. Now my kids going to camp. Now my kid rides a bike. You know, now I'm telling everybody else at my at my work they got to let their kids go. You got to let their kids see who they can be, you know, let the, you know, let let them be their human beings that they were meant to be instead of just me watching over them. So I, I printed those out for the crew because I said at some point somebody's going to say, "Oh my god, you faked this all. All these parents were just pretending to be nervous and then pretending to be brave." Mm. And they're, um, they've probably all gone back to whatever they were originally and, and they didn't. And so that's my only, the only ray of hope. And I feel bad because it feels like it's, it's like hand to hand combat from house to house. But when you can let parents see who their children really are and let them be proud of them instead of just worried for them, that, that breaks the cycle.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much, Lenore, for your time, and I just want to give you an opportunity to plug everything that you have going on right now. In addition, oh, to, let me plug sure.
3: away. Yes, yeah, thank you, thank you, Brett. Okay, so there's the book, Free Range Kids. There's the blog, Free Range Kids. Uh, there's the TV show that you'll never see, World's Worst Mom.
2: Well, I've got listeners in Canada. How could they? How could they see it?
3: Oh, um, well, there's probably reruns on Slice. It was on Slice. Okay, um, great. But, but most important for me now in terms of what I'm doing is uh, two things. One is I give a lot of lectures um, to everybody from you know, Microsoft down to local school boards and, and, uh, and parents and teachers. So um, if you're thinking of a great keynote speaker and you want it for a, you know, maybe a big group of people, please look at freerangekids.com and click on um, Speaking Engagements. Um, And the other thing I would like people to do is if they do something like start a free range kids club at, in their neighborhood, or if they have their kids, one, one teacher here in New York every year has kids do a free range kids project. That means that as 11 year olds, they're sixth graders do anything that their parents approve of that they haven't done yet, but they feel they're ready for like make dinner, go, you know, get the groceries for your family. um, Go pick up your brother from soccer. Um, If... Any teacher out there who's listening, um, implement something like that at school. This is what I'm really hoping uh, might be a way for the free range revolution to take hold. Maybe, you know, we were talking about schools before. Maybe, um, you know, if schools say that this is valuable, parents will believe it. And then, and alternatively, if parents are starting these free range kids clubs for their kids and just letting their kids go and realizing how great it is, maybe they can convince the schools.
2: I, I think it's probably going to have to, in my opinion, from my experience, and I did spend ten years working in and around these schools. It's probably, if it happens that way, it would be the parents convincing the schools. Okay, I would think so. Um, that it's it's very encouraging, and I do hope that people start, you know, these these clubs or these groups in in their their community, and even if they don't have a TV show, they can use. They can certainly. Uh, lead by example, and they can show other Fantastic, people yeah. what's possible. So again, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, and we'll have to do this sometime in the future.
3: Okay, I'm around, Brett. I'm very around. <laughs> I just sit at my computer all day, so call.
2: All right. Well, thank us again, Lenore, up, and you have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Watch the spider crawling up.
0: Crawling up Even though the rain is falling down. Oh. Watch the spider
2: crawling up yeah. Crawling up Crawling up yeah. And bitsy bitsy spider Went up the water spider. Down came the rain And washed the spider oh. Out came the sun And dried up all the rain up so all the a oh. bitsy bitsy oh. spider Went up the spider again
0: Hello. Thank you for sticking through all the way until the end. Before we wrap up today, I just want to say thank you to a few people who have actually increased their support on Patreon so far in June. Patreon is the primary means of supporting the School Sucks project. And in exchange for that support, you get access to a whole collection of additional bonus content, bonus content that we are still creating on a weekly basis for our supporting members. This content includes our personal development show, The Discomfort Zone, some behind the scenes material, and the highlights of the discussion group conversations that we have for uh, our private community, the university. I'm actually editing one right now. Great one from last week, primarily centered around the topic of secession. You might remember Secession from 160 years ago. We're talking about it again. And we're talking about it like in a very academic way. We don't even all live in the same state. And to see what's available at Patreon and to see what the options are, you can go to patreon.com slash school sucks. I wanna say thanks to Lloyd for a huge increase in his monthly contribution. David B for another very, very substantial increase in his monthly contribution. And to a third individual, this person started just as an individual called Choose. And I said, who or what is Choose? So I began an investigation because this was also a very significant increase in uh, monthly contribution. And I know who Choose is. If you want to remain as Choose for the sake of the public, I will respect that. And I will just say, thank you so much for your continued support. It means so much to me. Thank you to everybody who is either coming into Patreon for the first time and checking out all of the additional content that we have there, or those of you who have been there and have answered my call to, uh, join one of our monthly membership tiers. Many of you have chosen the top tier and that means a lot to me. It means that the effort going into this, uh, essential school sucks is worth it. So that's that. The top tier on our Patreon gets you monthly access to our private university community. We meet three times a week, and there is a very lively uh, Discord associated with this that you will get immediate access to when you sign up. If you hate Patreon, there are numerous uh, support options in the show notes for this episode. Another way that you can help us out at School Sucks Project is to at least start investigating. Our partners. Uh, chief among them right now is Praxis. Praxis is a college alternative for ambitious and entrepreneurial young people and if you're curious about this you can start your relationship with Praxis by getting a free book from them called Forward Tilt written by Isaac Morehouse and Hannah Frankman which includes many of uh, the secrets Praxis has amassed through the years of helping people get on this college overpass and into a career. All right, we'll be back soon with more in this second section of the Essential School Sucks called Leaving Institutional Schooling and Finding Educational Alternatives, like tomorrow. We'll be back.